Welcome to the Football Pink podcast, hosted by Roddy Cairns. The Football Pink is a website, magazine and documentary podcast series bringing you long-form stories and nostalgia from across the world of football. Two thousand and six was, without a shadow of a doubt, the year of Fabio Cannavaro. It was a year in which Cannavaro was everywhere you looked. He captained Italy to a World Cup triumph, won the Ballon d'Or and FIFA World Player of the Year awards, completed a near unbeaten season with Juventus, sealed a big money transfer to Real Madrid, and earned one of football's most evocative nicknames. A year of near perfection for the Neapolitan, and one in which he showed that a no-nonsense centre back can, just occasionally overshadow the best forwards in the business and dominate world football. The 2006 World Cup was without doubt Fabio Cannavaro's crowning moment in a, an amazing career and an amazing, amazing year. I mean, 2006 was the year that Cannavaro just, he elevated himself. Fabio Cannavaro had this innate ability to be in the right place at the right time on almost every occasion. His reading of the game was impeccable, his spatial awareness second to none during his peak. He just went about his business in defence shepherding the back line, timing his blocks and clearing his lines with precision. He made defending look effortless and enjoyable. After 119 minutes of deadlocked cat and mouse in the World Cup semi-final between Germany and Italy, the Azzurri had just taken the lead. Pirlo's sneaky pass, Grosso's divine curling finish. The host nation were reeling and had only one minute to find an equaliser and avoid the pain of being sent home early from their own party. The Westfalen stadion roared, the home crowd urging the Germans on as they threw everything forward. A high ball fell towards Lukas Podolski, Germany's wunderkind loitering with intent at the edge of the box, which was filled to the gunnels with his dangerous teammates. Italy were on the ropes. Step forward, Fabio Cannavaro, storming out of position to close down Podolski. A poor touch from the German gave Cannavaro his chance, the defender charging into the ensuing 50-50 like a steam train, controlling the ball with his head and offloading it to a teammate to start a lightning counter-attack. Gerlardino slipped away upfield, stretching the skeleton crew Germany had left in defence before squirting a no-look pass into the box for the on-rushing Del Piero. Another curled shot, another Italian goal. 2-0, and the Germans knew the game was up. Only 12 seconds elapsed between Cannavaro's all-important interception and Del Piero's goal. Podolski must have been shell-shocked, his dreams of scoring the equaliser replaced by the nightmare of having lost possession and contributed to Italy's clincher. Cannavaro had taken a huge risk in charging out to Podolski. If he had mistimed the challenge, he could have been caught out of position or conceded a free kick right on the edge of the box. But he didn't. He timed his challenge to perfection and the risk paid off massively. Jack Wills, contributor for the Football Pink, recalls that famous Cannavaro moment. It was incredible and it was peak Cannavaro. If it was a less experienced defender, if it was a less important game, you'd probably be furious at the guy for for coming so far out of his position to even challenge that ball. If he'd mistimed that, the gap that would have opened up, they'd have been punished so badly by Germany. 
and yet he was Fabio Cannavaro, so he wasn't punished. He won it. He won possession. He made the pass, and they're in the final. Another Italy defensive legend, Paolo Maldini, once famously said, if I have to make a tackle, then I have already made a mistake. It's fair to say that Cannavaro did not subscribe to the Maldini school of defending, or at least not entirely. It's not that he didn't read the game well, in fact he was one of the best in the business in that regard. But he would also search out tackles or break rank to make timely interceptions. He knew that if you gave an elite attacker time on the ball then they could punish you. He made it his business to be as disruptive a player as he possibly could, relying on his defensive partners to hold the line while he stepped out to cause havoc in the opposition ranks. Italy didn't win the 2006 World Cup by chance. Whilst losing finalist France stumbled their way through the tournament, Italy were a precision machine. Marcello Lippi took six forwards to the tournament, with Del Piero, Totti, Tony, Gilardino, Inzaghi and Jacinta all finding the net. But their success was undoubtedly built on the back of a resolute defensive unit. Buffon in goal was an outstanding last line of defence. Fullbacks Gianluca Zambrotta and Fabio Grosso provided a great wide outlet going forward but were both also exceptional defenders in their own right. The tournament initially saw Cannavaro paired with Alessandro Nesta in an all-star central defensive partnership. Football Pink contributor Liam Baxter recalls how that axis was changed by a fateful moment. Fabio Cannavaro formed a pretty formidable partnership in the sense of the Italian defence with Alessandro Nesta over the course of about a six-year period leading up to the 2006 finals. Both similar ages, they'd grown together with the national team since the finals in 1998. Through the group stage in 2006, this monolithic defensive duo managed to keep the likes of the Ghanaians, the Americans and the Czechs relatively quiet. But then midway during the first half of the final group game, Nesta goes down with a thigh injury and he ends up having to make way for Marco Materazzi. While Italy have always been blessed with a plethora of defensive talent, it's this injury to Nesta that really forces Cannavaro to step up and marshal the back line without his most trusted defensive partner by his side. While it obviously helps to have a goalkeeper with the shot-stopping ability of Gianluigi Buffon behind you, Cannavaro has to remain vocal, alert and aware of the space between the defence and the midfield. Despite the upheaval at the heart of the defence, the Italians conceded only two goals all tournament. One was a Christian Zaccardo own goal from a corner in a group stage match against the USA, and the other was a penalty from Zinedine Zidane in the final, a chip that barely crossed the line by more than a millimetre. Not a single opposition player was able to score against Italy from open play, a quite staggering feat of defensive solidity. Every member of Italy's defence played their part in this record, of course, but the influence of Cannavaro marshalling his back line can't be downplayed. Italy famously went on to defeat France on penalties in the final, Materazzi writing his own chapter in Italian football lore in a slightly less conventional manner. It was Fabio Grosso who converted the decisive penalty in a shootout in which Cannavaro took no part. However, as Italy's number five raised the iconic trophy aloft, it was hard not to reflect on the part he had played in the winning of it. If Lippi had proven himself to be the god of defensive solidity, then Cannavaro was surely his high priest. He may have been only five foot nine, but he stood taller than everyone in the world that summer. Cannavaro's heroic performances in the German sun saw the folks back home in Italy christen him with one of the most appropriate and evocative nicknames in modern football, Il Muro di Berlino, the Berlin Wall. 
While the World Cup victory was undoubtedly the crowning glory of Cannavaro's Ballon d'Or winning year, the foundations were built from an impressive season at club level. On the pitch, his Juventus side finished the 2005-2006 season top of the pile in Italy, losing only one league match all season on their way to amassing 91 points. Cannavaro was key to that success, playing 48 games across all competitions in a side that rarely conceded goals. Between the months of August 2005 and May 2006, Fabio Cannavaro was effectively flawless. Aside from coming unstuck in the Coppa Italia and crashing out to a Thierry Henry-inspired Arsenal in the Champions League, that season for Juventus was a real success. For Cannavaro, he picked up both the Italian Player of the Year and Serie A Footballer of the Year awards, as well as lifting the Scudetto. However, the 2005-2006 season is remembered in Italy not for the on-field performances of Juventus, but for one of the murkiest sporting stories in recent memory, the Calciopoli scandal. The long and short of Calciopoli, a match-fixing scandal that took place during the 2005-06 season that implicated the likes of Milan, Fiorentina and Lazio while relegating Juventus to Serie B, is that leading officials of the aforementioned clubs were involved in doping and influencing the designation of referees for certain league matches. The fallout from Calciopoli was massive. Points were docked. Teams were barred from European football, and crucially, Juventus had their title rescinded. With Juve relegated and AC Milan suffering a 30-point deduction, the title was awarded to Inter Milan, who were 15 points off the pace. Many of Cannavaro's teammates felt that the punishment did not fit the crime, their on-pitch achievements being stripped away from them as a result of purely off-pitch shenanigans by their board. Calciopoli scandal was... A real low point, presumably for Fabio Cannavaro. This is the issue that sticks with Cannavaro and several of his Juventus teammates at the time. They did not know about this. They didn't get paid to take dives. They didn't actively participate in the cheating. They, as far as they were aware, they went out for 38 league games. And they played their heart and soul in each and every one. Was there situations where players were conveniently sent off and suspended for, for games against Juventus? Absolutely. Were there penalties in games that were perhaps controversial? Yep, I'm sure there were. But from the player's point of view, they had no control over this. The games were open enough that they believed any luck and any fortune they received was just that lucky. They still had games they, they lost, points they dropped, games they won but they were furious over for, for various decisions. In the grand scheme of things, yes, the stripping of the title was right. But for the individual players, that must sit hard even a decade on. With Juve now being made to languish in Serie B for their sins, an exodus of their dominant side, which contained several World Cup winners, was inevitable. And while the likes of Gianluigi Buffon, Del Piero and Pavel Nedved stayed loyal to the Bianconeri, Cannavaro joined stars such as Latan Ibrahimovic and Patrick Vieira in departing the sinking ship. Few Juventus fans could really begrudge him that. He was quite openly a Napoli fan. He'd only been at Juventus for a couple of years and whilst the fans adored him, they knew he had no loyalty the way that, that certain other players might. He just captained a World Cup winning side. That was too good to be a, a Serie B defender. 
the real question was where was he going to play? There was not a club in the world that would not have benefited from the influence of Cannavaro. In the end, it was Real Madrid's that took his, his attention and took his signature. And in 2006, he signed for the Galacticos. And so it was that Cannavaro would spend the second half of 2006 at one of the few clubs which could offer more glamour than Juventus, the Galacticos of Real Madrid. Despite having fellow countryman Fabio Capello as manager, Cannavaro would not find his early time at the Bernabeu to be all plain sailing. This is his first move outside of his native Italy. I really think he struggled in the early months of his time in Madrid and that's backed up by a few interviews he's given post-retirement. He's been quoted as saying that he struggled to settle into the city and spent plenty of time in hotels before he was able to actually find himself a home. Fabio Capello is in charge of the team during Cannavaro's time in Madrid and he reportedly asked the manager if he could take some time off to essentially just find his feet. Capello replied by saying that he wouldn't take him out of the team, he was too important. While you could argue that the mental health aspects of this decision can't have been great for Cannavaro trying to make a life for himself in a brand new country, I think this proved just how integral he was to any success that Madrid would go on to have that year. Capello was essentially saying that he needed him. Early teething problems aside, Cannavaro soon settled into a key role in Capello's team. This Madrid side were not necessarily universally popular among the fans, Capello's pragmatic approach failing to impress the Bernabeu faithful, and even, reputedly, some of his own players. However, they soon found themselves locked in an epic title battle against the entertainers of Barcelona, with the clubs ultimately ending the season on the exact same points tally. Under La Liga's rules, Barca's vastly superior goal difference was irrelevant, with the title instead to be decided on head-to-head. With the second El Clasico of the season having ended in a 3-3 draw at the Nou Camp, the destination of the title was effectively decided by the result of the first El Clasico, a 2-0 win for Real at the Bernabeu in October 2006, in which Cannavaro played a key role. There was a 3-3 game in 2007, which gets a lot of praise, gets a lot of media attention. However, the real clincher was a 2-0 win for Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. This proved to be the catalyst for their title win. And prior to the game, Real Madrid sat fourth. With new manager Fabio Capello hounded by the fans for poor results and negative play. Capello is a very, very well-respected manager. However, few managers can really withstand the heat of the Santiago Bernabeu and its fans. And he was he was no different. This 2-0 El Clasico win was certainly was certainly the strong point of his Real Madrid career. After just two minutes, Raul Gonzalez opened the scoring for Real Madrid, and in doing so, it put all the onus on Fabio Cannavaro and the defenders to stay resolute. Barcelona kept on knocking at the door. They tried absolutely everything and played some stunning football in the process. But no matter what they did, they just could not get get past Cannavaro. In the end, a second half Ruud van Nistelrooy goal put Madrid 2-0 up to ease the, the defensive pressure, and they stayed strong. A 2-0 win was secured, and come May, this proved all the difference in running Real Madrid their first title for several years. Another decisive match. Another example of Cannavaro stepping up when it mattered most. 
another step on his path to the Ballon d'Or. On the 27th of November 2006, Cannavaro's perfect year was capped off in spectacular fashion when he was crowned the winner of the prestigious Ballon d'Or award. This achievement is even more impressive when you consider that, whilst the trophy was supposedly awarded to the best player based in Europe, in reality it invariably went to an attacker. In fact, Cannavaro became only the third defender to win the award since its inception 50 years earlier, following in the footsteps of Germany's Franz Beckenbauer and Matthias Sammer. The biggest success of this is that Fabio Cannavaro was recognised. So few defensive players and goalkeepers have won the Ballon d'Or. So the way that the votes play out is that there are 52 representatives at the time, one from each European country, who are tasked with casting a vote. They get five picks, and their number one pick receives five points, their number two pick receives four points, and so on, until their number five pick gets only one point. The top five players were Fabio Cannavaro, Gianluigi Buffon, Thierry Henry, Ronaldinho, and Zinedine Zidane. Of these five players, only the first three, Cannavaro, Buffon, and Henri, received over 100 points, and Buffon, who was second place, was nearly 50 points behind Cannavaro. Given that the award is so skewed towards attacking players, this was a masterclass to see two defensive rocks for Italy and Juventus earning their praise. The laurels didn't end there for Cannavaro. He was also named the FIFA World Player of the Year, becoming the only defender ever to win this slightly less prestigious award. And to top off a hat-trick of personal accolades, he was named in FIFA's World Eleven. It's hard to argue against the proposition that Cannavaro was the best player on the planet in 2006, a year in which he swept all before him at club and international level. On-pitch dominance with Juventus, laying the groundwork for an unlikely title win at Real Madrid, a plethora of personal accolades, and of course, that glorious World Cup victory with Italy. It all adds up to an unbeatable 12 months for the man who will forever be remembered as Il Muro di Berlino. You've been listening to the Football Pink Podcast. For more stories like this one, please subscribe to the podcast or visit footballpink.net.